Welcome to IBBA Insights, providing expert advice on buying or selling small businesses. IBBA Insights is presented by the International Business Brokers Association, the world's largest nonprofit organization for those helping others sell or buy businesses. Now, here's your host, Press Diglio. Welcome to the latest episode of IBBA Insights. I'm very excited today to talk to you about the world of business and what's going on and how it affects you as a business owner or you as a business broker or a business intermediary that's involved in the sale of businesses. And most recently, the SBA put out their their updated and most recent SOPs, their standard operating procedures. And what it's going to allow for the in the sale of businesses is exciting and it opens the door so much for you out there as a business owner looking to sell your business and a uh, and a, a person involved in the sale of businesses, uh, what it means for the buyer is is outstanding. We're going to be able to get more loans done uh, potentially um, and have more people be able to qualify. And we're going to talk about this. So it's so exciting and it, and it's it's so impactful. Who do you reach out to and who do you call and who do you say can you come on the podcast and talk about this? Well, you reach out and you ask one of the most well-respected and trusted names in SBA financing if they'd come on the show. And when they say yes, you say thank you. And that's what I've done. Today, I'm proud to introduce the owner of Diamond Financial Services, um, an IBBA contributor, an IBBA board member, and uh, all-around great guy and someone I, I'm proud to call a friend, uh, Steve Mariani. Welcome to IBBA Insights once again. Thank you, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here, and I appreciate the opportunity to, to sharing information and, and what we've learned in the last seven days uh, with, with your constituents. There's no doubt about it. This is going to affect the broker industry, and uh, and, and I look forward to um, sharing the information of what we know now and uh, helping your platform of people. Uh, thank you. And, you know, you're always so kind and gracious to when we call to say yes and come on and give us updates on what's going on, and I know we all appreciate you, so thank you for everything that you do. So we're going to, we have a limited amount of time, and we want to talk about some of the top changes or things that uh, that w- w- was just released. So I'm going to go down uh, through several uh, topics and ask you to elaborate on them and talk about them. But in the past, there were guidelines where it was allowed as far as partial changes of ownership um, within a business, if someone wanted to sell a portion of their business, you know, were they allowed? Were they not allowed? No, they weren't. But what are they allowed now, Steve? How how is what the latest SOPs? What's changed uh, when it comes to the partial changes of ownership? Sure, I'm happy to expand on that, Chris. Uh, the rule has always been on the books. It must be a 100% change of ownership. And, and ironically, this is one of the rules that I researched years ago in my early career and. Uh, and I have been in the industry almost 30 years, but in, back in the beginning, because uh, a lot of people did have concerns about this rule and wanted the seller to stay on a few few different transactions, but it goes back to um, arms lane transaction. That was the original intent of the rule back in the 80s, when uh, in the 80s, in the 50s, when they first came out with the rule. They said, we don't want any funny business between partners, partial buyout back and forth, things like that. So that's why they implemented the must be a 100% change of ownership rule. It also goes to the uh, 12-month seller must exit rule. So, so that was the original uh, intent of the rule. 
but it does look like now, and, and again, I am waiting for more interpretations every single day from lenders, but it does look like now if you own a portion of a business, you can sell just that portion, and we can replace one of the owners with a new owner. Uh, and there are criteria around that uh, with based on guarantees and percentage of ownership and things like that. But it does say there is now allowable a partial change of ownership. So we're waiting to see more detail on that. But uh, it does look like you can sell part of a business now, which happens a lot of times. We see it when, you know, there are two partners and one's a little bit younger and one's a little bit older. And typically the older guy wants to retire and uh, the younger guy wants to stay on. Well, now there's an opportunity to possibly make that happen. So I think that that could be a positive step also. Yeah, in the past when they were looking to possibly do this, the you know, SBA financing was was not an option and now it is and again that just opens up a lot more doors and a lot more opportunities um because let's face it, unless they were going to do a a, a complete seller's note, there really aren't many options out there for financing for a, for a partial uh buyout or, or or for a change of ownership. So, um uh that that is tremendous. That is tremendous. Um, before we go on to further questions, what, when do all of these um, take effect? We'll talk about six or seven different different topics today. A couple of them took effect on May 11th, and uh, the majority of the bigger ones will take effect on August 1st of this year. And really the reason is that they need lender feedback in case there will be things changing between now and uh, August 1st. So they put these out a few months in advance to understand where the lenders are and what their thinking is and and to field any questions and concerns and clarify a lot of this information because, as you can imagine right, right now, lenders have been spinning. Talk- yeah. No, that's fine. Yeah, Talk to us specifically about uh, the seller contributions toward the down payment. What, it, what was allowed in the, in the past and what's going to be allowed today or in the future? Okay. Sure, sure, sure. Prior to 2017, uh, we used to have a seller note availability to put them on standby for 24 months, no payments of interest or principal, and then that would count toward the down payment. After that 24-month period, we used to be able to begin our, our note payments. Uh, uh, in 2017, when they reduced the, the down payment requirement, they said that seller notes would now have to be on standby forever. <laughs> I use the term forever, but until we're paid back. So in most of our transactions, that would be a 10-year standby. So that's the rule we've been dealing with since 2017. I want to say it was February 2017, but uh, please, everyone, note I could be off by, you know, five years at my age. But uh, I believe that's when it was. And um, now it's back to 24 months, which we do think is, is a great change. So the selling note now, if it's on full standby for 24 months or more, can count toward the down payment. And there are other caveats, but that's the gist of it. And that's, that's a huge change that actually took effect on May 11th. So that is a change that can be um, realized today. We're going to instantly implement it on our transactions. And that's a big change because if you had a seller that was uh, up there in age and, and, and let's say past retirement, they may be around uh, beyond the 10 years um, to satisfy or to receive the, 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 the money that was on hold or, or, uh, towards the, towards the, their contributions towards the down payment. Um, and it became a sticking point in some transactions because the, the sellers said, I don't want to wait. Or they were even doing things as far as making sure the note payment carried over to their heirs. 
um, and making sure there were things in place for that. But now you're saying that no more the 10 year or the forever clause. It's down to 24 months. That's that's phenomenal. Right. And my theory, I totally agree with everything you said. Whenever I do have a seller note, my philosophy is they shouldn't be in a transaction after five years. So having them, you know, be involved for over 10 years used to kill me. You know, even when I do have to have a seller note or, or even in this scenario where it's on standby for 24 months, even if I have to amortize it over the following eight or 10 or whatever, I'm going to balloon it after the fifth year. In my mind, and, and with the, the majority of the transactions we see, the seller should be out of the deal in five years. If he's looking to exit, then I'll put a balloon payment or whatever I need to do to help that seller. So a lot of our transactions would have been, this is prior to 17, standby for two years, amortized over eight, balloon after five. That's my, my preferred structure to help you know all parties involved. So we can go back to that now, which is a great thing. All right. Well, let's get to the nitty gritty now, because there are some real serious okay. rumblings out there. And I want to set the record straight here. But there are rumblings out there that now buyers can buy a business for as little as zero money down. You heard me. Zero money down. Is that correct, Steve, or am I just hearing things? Well, it, it's funny because I'm on lender calls every single day. And based on the interpretation or initial interpretations of these rules, you're correct. He can, the seller can hold a 10% note on standby for 24 months and the buyer can contribute nothing to the equity injection. And, and in theory, Chris, it could be a $5 million transaction where your buyer is bringing you no money. Now, that does raise a bunch of flags, and I can talk about lender comments on these rules uh, more toward the end, but uh, that's concerning, and the, the initial feedback I'm getting is there's not going to be a lot of lenders doing that. The current rule is the seller can contribute half of it, which is 5% of the down, uh, 10% required, and the buyer can bring in 5 So what I'm hearing on the street is most lenders are going to stick to that as really a default, even that was a pretty aggressive uh, structure. But having no down payment, we don't know of a lender yet that will do that. Again, we're looking for clarification on this because if you look in the SOPs, it still has, you know, the, con the contribution from the seller helping but uh, not providing at all. Here's another big change on that particular note. What it says is if your buyer is coming in with even 25% of the 10% down required, you can then make interest payments on that seller note, which was never allowed prior to this. So you know, if, the, if the seller is in, you know, insisting on interest payments, well, we got to make sure the buyer has at least 2.5% of the 10% that's going in as the injection based on the initial, again, uh, review of these, these rules because every lender is, is coming up with their own uh, interpretation still as of yet. So we are a little bit premature, uh, but I have to put this information out there because this is what's on the table. So, so far, Steve, what you've told me is going to make some of the people out there that sell businesses a little giddy and excited. So, so far you said, you know, they could go out and, and sell a portion of the business. Partial changes of ownership will be allowed. Uh, the seller mm -hmm. contribution towards the down payment, no longer forever, the 10 years or whatever it's on, it's now down to 24 months, and also now the seller notes can contribute towards the entire down payment amount, and in essence, possibly zero down from the buyer or minimizing it down to zero if the, if the individual banks will allow that or the lender will allow that, but, but certainly the opportunity is there. 
So let's talk about some other exciting things that, that people might not know about yet. Um, okay. In the past, when I sold the business, you know, the buyers typically, especially when you get onto the larger businesses, they want the seller to stay around for a while. And it might even be vital for the seller to stay around um, in a certain role. But in the past, I believe there were guidelines as far as how long a seller could stay on with the company. Was it a year, Steve? Yes, sir, Chris, that's correct. They were allowed to stay for a period not to exceed 12 months. Now, we've talked about a lot of the other changes, which, which as you, as you portrayed, are exciting for business brokers. This rule might even be more exciting than the other three combined, and I'll tell you exactly why. This, Go the initial it. interpretation, okay, the seller may stay on. Here's, here's what it says. The seller may stay on as an owner, officer, director, shareholder, uh, stockholder, key employee, or employee of the business. Okay, that's the actual verbiage in it. But here is the kicker. If he holds the license, he can stay on as an employee with the license. And that comes wow. up all the time. Now we could be opening up HVAC, plumbing. We could be opening up, you know, electric, all of those businesses that everyone has looked at over these years and said, all right, there's a license required because it's just a few short years ago, five, six years ago, the SBA actually said, we want that buyer to hold the licenses and started actually, you know, sending the message to the lenders, make sure they're a higher level and have that license. Okay. So we will work around it with employees and things like that. Well, now if it's the seller that holds the license, he can stay, as this describes, as a key employee. That could open up a ton of more verticals for people. You know, I know a lot of business brokers that didn't really want to go after those HVAC, plumbing, electrical type businesses because of this license concern. You know, we all know that that narrowed your buyer pool quite a bit. Well, now this could open it up to people that were just looking out businesses because we get a lot of high net worth borrowers that look at that those type of industries because the multiples are so well and they're service companies who doesn't love to sell service companies with huge cash flow so that's where i think might be a use again i'm waiting for the lenders interpretation but that's initial feedback is i think we can leave the seller there with a the license steve let me give you two scenarios and Tell me where each of these, uh, how you feel about each of these and what your opinion is. Um, someone owns 100% of the business. They sell the business, but the uh, one of the requirements to the deal going forward, it's contingent on the seller and buyer agreeing on a employment contract. And uh, the employment contract is going to be a three-year employment contract. In the past, SBA would not have uh, been involved in such alone or not approve that, but today they they possibly will. Is that correct? That's what it sounds like and reads to us. Yes, we okay. always advised our clients, no contract with that seller can be past 12 months. And um, now I would be the first to submit a three-year contract with the seller based on these new rules. All right, let's look at scenario number two. I own 100% of the company. I decide, I, you know, I want to slow down a little, but I want to retire. I want to have, uh, you know, uh, uh, I want to have, a, I want to cash out, let's say a little bit. And I, so I go and I want to sell 70 or 80% of my business. I want to retain a, a, a smaller equity portion in the business. And I'm going to remain with the company for, you know, for the foreseeable future. Would that be allowed? 
Okay, here's the caveat on that. And this is the conversation we would make sure everyone is aware of. If you're retaining 20% or more and the loan is under collateralized, you're going to be guaranteeing the loan and I'm going to be looking at your collateral for, for um, asset values. So it's going to come down to do you still want to remain on the loan and directly in the business or do you want to be removed? Now, if we reduce your ownership to under 20%, we give you, you, you retain a 10 or a 15% ownership level, that's excluded and now you're not guaranteeing the loan. So that might be a deciding factor when it comes to selling your property or your business uh, portions. But everything else you said is absolutely correct. You can sell 80, 85%, 70% of your business and uh, sign on the loan and you can move forward. You know, and that's exciting because those people or those brokers out there, those people that own larger businesses, not quite the 20, 30, $40 million businesses, but a $5 million business and, you know, an equity group or someone or, or, or an individual or someone comes in and wants to purchase and they were doing, you know, a recap or rollover equity. Now, now that scenario is possible on smaller deals with, <clears throat> with an SBA loan um, because, Partial changes of ownership are now going to be allowed. So that that really brings some of the M&A components of a transaction down to the, the Main Street level, which is which is really exciting. Right. And, and just to expand on that, I see a lot of larger businesses. Now, keep in mind, we work on the larger Goodwill transactions, but we see a lot of times where the business has outgrown the owner. And had he brought in a partner or was able to bring in a partner, would stay and continue to grow the company. But it gets to a point where, you know, let's face it, we see it a lot of times where the the founder of the company enjoyed what he was doing. And then it grew into a monster. And now he's all admin and doesn't enjoy what he's doing. Well, now he has the opportunity to bring in an executive level owner or a partner that can handle all of those pieces and go back. To, to enjoying what he used to do and continue to grow and contribute to that company, which is a great thing. That's how I looked at it. Cause like I said, I, I see them hit the market all the time where the seller doesn't really want to sell it, but it doesn't really have an option because he can't handle the continued growth of that company. Um, so that's where I see a, a big plus there on, you know, they can yeah, bring so in a younger these partner. New SOPs, they're going to open a lot of the, the selling pool to, that's out there to open more people that will now possibly come to the market because, you know, two months ago they didn't want to be out of their business, but they thought about selling, but then eh, they, they weren't ready to give it up today. Oh, I can give up a portion of my business still remain on and, and be able to take it to levels. Maybe I wasn't comfortable because you know what happens? You're young and you're ambitious. You get in, you buy a brand new business or you start a new business and, you take it to a certain level, and, and, and you're, you're a lot more open to taking risks. You know, the closer you get to retirement, you know, the less likely you are to want to take risks because that's what you're looking for to take care of yourself and your family for the rest of your life for your retirement. Now this has opened up the doors to say, hey, you could cash out. You can have a, you know, a, a liquidity event. You could have, you know, uh, cash coming into you and take money off the table and still do what you love and still be involved in the company that maybe you created or that you've grown and then be able to see it go to levels that you never imagined. This is truly exciting, Steve. 
Exactly. Uh, like us uh, here again, let's, let's back up just for a second to the zero down rule. This also opens up opportunities where the manager's been there 15 years, the seller is trying to retire, yet that particular manager, you know, has a few kids and doesn't have the huge down payment needed. Well, now the seller can help him too. Again, it's all in the, in the theory of growing that company and bringing new, new, uh, ownership in there is a wonderful thing. So both of those scenarios could bring in a manager as an owner. Um, by then they have equity and, uh, yeah, these, these are great changes. These I look at as absolutely positives. Uh, I don't know how, and, and that's always the, the thought from the lender's perspective. How can they turn this into fraud or how can they do the wrong thing here? But, uh, I think these are both positive changes for sure, Chris, and will definitely allow brokers to do more transactions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a win-win for everybody. Um, yep. What What were the changes that that took place with uh, when it concerns the, the personal liquidity rule? So this and this is, believe it or not, uh, an important rule for us because we work with a lot of high net worth individuals. So what the rule used to say is, if they have one and a half, de- depending upon loan size, but typically, generally, uh, if they had one and a half times the loan amount, they would have to inject the that difference into the transaction, okay? Or they would be kicked. There were scenarios where they become ineligible because of they had too much personal liquidity. Well, what the SBA did in this particular SOP was they removed that entire clause. Now, if if Chris Diglio had $5 million in cash in the bank and he was only putting $500,000 down on the business, we would not be concerned about the other $4.5 million left in your bank account. So that's a great thing. You weren't ineligible because of too much cash. Uh, and that was always a fine line we walked here with our high net worth clients. It's something we always address right up front to be sure we were doing the right thing for a client. Uh, but now that personal liquidity rule, you're eligible. It doesn't matter how much net worth you personally have. So that does affect our higher net worth clients and your larger goodwill transactions. When you're talking three, four, five million dollar transaction, those are the clients that you're going to typically see as far as borrowers go. So uh, I, I appreciate this personal liquidity removal. That's that's a great thing for us. Steve, I'm going to date myself now. I got into the business 24 years ago, and one of my first clients was buying a, a produce company, a produce distribution. And he went and applied for an SBA loan. And he was turned down. And basically the reason that was given, whether it was official reason or not, uh, was he had too much, he had too much, too many assets, too much money. Uh, basically it mm-hmm. was deemed he didn't need the loan. <laughs> <laughs> and he was disturbed. So what yes. he had to do is he went back to his, his, his bank and he was able to do a traditional loan, which as you know, in, 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 in buying a business, it's very hard to do, but he had such a relationship with his bank and his assets were so hot, heavy. He, he was able to do that, but he wanted to do an SBA loan. But they they denied him, so that's not going. That should not happen uh, going forward, based on the rule change. Correct? Absolutely correct. Now the flip side of that is typically that uh, borrowers that have so much liquidity might also have too many assets. So it could also be a you know we might advise that same client not to use SBA if he was going to want to fully collateralize any on any SBA transaction. You know, we're working with one client right now that has 32 properties and, and many of them have no mortgages. So we're trying to advise him that he's really not going to be a borrower. 
because we're going to take it from a collateral perspective. Now, liquidity is something different. What what my pet peeve has always been was to not tie up the liquidity. And this rule has changed many times over my 30 years in this industry. At one point back in the day before the uh, 09, 10 crash, we used to leave borrowers broke. We would put a lien on their cash leave them twenty-five dollars or $50,000, depending upon the size of the transaction, and then make them put the rest of their liquid into a CD with our name on it. Okay, when they made the rule changes back in 13 to account for the financial crisis that we had gone through, they kind of removed that and then allowed the lenders to take collateral positions on the cash, which that's always been a pet peeve of mine is to never take liquidity from my entrepreneurs because they'll do better things with it than the lenders. But that personal liquidity rule, is a great thing because a lot of your higher level entrepreneurs have a lot of cash. Uh, they've either exited uh, from an executive position or they've been an entrepreneur for quite a while and they just continue to move up in the food chain as far as size of business that they're operating, in my opinion. So so the personal liquidity rule is a great thing for, for your higher net worth clients on your bigger goodwill transactions. Yeah, well, the example of my buyer, he he had about, he was liquid to the tune of about seven times the amount of the transaction. So, right. right. Back they, in the day, they, they that got like, you picked uh, no. out. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You became ineligible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know, there there are a lot of uh, businesses that go for sale that are part of franchise systems, and in the past, there there were there were some hangups with with uh, franchise and approvals, um, and 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 with the SBA loan and. Can you talk about how that relationship's going to change and what's going to change potentially uh, on a franchise uh, approval? Oh, absolutely. Yes. What they did was they removed what was called the franchise uh, registry. Uh, back in the day when I got in the industry, when we were looking at a franchise and many of the your your people might recognize the term FDD, which is franchise disclosure document. Well, back when I started, it was a UFOC, Uniform UFOC, Franchise Offering yeah. Circular. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, you might remember that. Well, back in the day when I got into it, we had to review those for eligibility and determine SBA eligibility. And if you've ever seen a UFOC or an FDD, you know, it's, you know, three, 400 pages. Well, we had to make sure that that franchise was eligible. So what we used to do with any franchise that the lender wasn't familiar with was get we used to have to have them overnighted and uh, a few copies we would read it we would also send it to an attorney to read and determine eligibility okay but about i don't know again don't quote me on the years 10 12 years ago sba said we're going to make this easy because every lender is is independently reviewing them some are getting it right, some are getting it wrong, whether they're eligible or not. But, you know, you could miss a word in the, in the uh, FDD, and that could make it ineligible. Uh, I'll give you a quick, for instance, there are many franchises that will not allow the SBA to take a lien on the inventory because it's branded. They don't want the SBA to be liquidating their branded inventory and selling it in the flea market which is understandable, but that is a direct violation of SBA rules. So there's an amendment to work around that. Either the franchise is going to buy it back or things like that. So lenders used to have to determine all of that independently. Then they went to the franchise registry. SBA said, we understand this is a task. We're going to do that. It was a live online database where we would automatically go in, check the franchise rating. It would tell us exactly uh, if there was an amendment needed to, to make them eligible or if they were initially eligible for SBA financing. And it was a yes or a no, which took that piece right off the lender's plate. 
So now what they're doing is they did away with the franchise registry and they're saying, lender, you again must determine if that is eligible or not. Now the concern of Gary again is who's incurring the cost. I mean, it took hours for each attorney to review on, on FDD or UFOC. You know, no one has that system in place anymore because we haven't done it in so many years. So uh, that franchise approval is going to be uh, the burden of the lender. So we don't know how that's going to play out or what that's going to look like. One lender I spoke to said, we're just going to start like we used to compiling a database of franchises we have reviewed. Uh, but there again, their, their FDDs change every year. Well, we have to understand the changes every year. I mean, it's a task that the lenders are going to be now, ta- uh, you know, under the gun on. So uh, the bigger concern is, you know, there again, if they make a mistake and misread uh, an FDD or anything, what's at risk is their S be a guarantee. And that, that is always the biggest concern. So, you know, I have some concerns on the lender side as far as, you know, approving franchises and how they're going to um, create that database. But uh, now it's up to lender. What it does do, it allows those franchises that might not have been eligible to be able to talk to the lender's counsel and work out what the differences are and figure it out. Like I, Like that example I just said, we get an amendment that says you will buy back the inventory in the case of a default. Well, now that franchise becomes eligible and you could write that loan. So it does allow more wiggle room from the lender's perspective as far as working out the ineligible concerns with the franchise. So that is a great thing. And that's what we used to do back in the day. So it could open up some lender opportunities. Yeah. That makes sense. Why? The franchise wants to take the unit back. It's best if they could if they could take it back. And by the way, what is a what is a bank going to do with a bunch of uh, let's say it's a restaurant right. used restaurant equipment, right? right? Sell it right. for ten cents on the dollar. Um, it, you know, so right. But um, well, yeah, we, we we've been down that road with coffee companies. You know, they they don't want their branded items out there. Uh, there was a cosmetic company that we did that you would recognize their brand. Again, they didn't want that stuff sold out in the market. Uh, so we had to adjust our FDD. You know, and it makes sense. You could be, you could be talking about trademark and, and different kind of infringements, right? That, that, the, the, the right. you know, the intellectual properties belong, you know, to, to that franchise in general. And it just can't be out there for anyone to, to, to use. I mean, there are a lot of different issues that could have, that there could have been, but this seems like now it's going to open the avenue for discussion on what they could allow and not allow, which means the potential of doing uh, more loans, SBA loans with franchises. Yes. And and before we get too far down the road, I do want to bring up a few concerns that lenders have. You know, lenders are a little bit concerned about the 0% down rule. You know, uh, these, these rules do open up a lot more avenues. And, of course, the other side of that coin is what will it do to our default rates? You know, and what's the overall effects? I mean, if there are lenders going out there doing a ton of uh, 0% down loans, uh, SBA knows you put 0% down, your defaults are automatically going to go up. What that's going to look like and what the effects are truly going to be after we experience some of that, I don't know. And, and that's really the discussion that the lenders are having now. You know, how many of these rules do we want to implement and what's it going to look like? Uh, the well, consensus that I've got, into what I, yeah. Yeah, that's a perfect sorry, segue seems to what I wanted to bring up is – that's great. Everyone's they're listening now and they're hearing about, oh, no money down, all these changes, everything that's allowed, great. But now let's talk about the relationship between the SBA and the lender, right? What, just because this is in place, is, does that mean as a lender, a lender is mandated to 
uh, have to do a deal with all these allowances? Great question. Absolutely not. Basically, every SBA rule starts out, well, all the uh, SOPs start out with, you have to instill prudent lending guidelines. That's where the lender policies come in, okay? Uh, and, and not to be a negative Nancy here, but I do want to read something that was just published from the House Committee on Small Business, Chairman uh, Roger Williams. Okay, because there are hearings going on. Congress is against a lot of these rule changes. And he actually put out a statement in the last Senate uh, hearing, which was, I want to say, yesterday day before. There's another one going on today about this. But this is his actual quote. Today's hearing did nothing to assuage our concerns which um, over the Small Business Administration's reckless rule changes to their 7A loan program, which will reduce underwriting standards and add more risk of taxpayer-funded bailout of the program, says Chairman Williams. My colleagues and I are committed to protecting the integrity of SBA's flagship program while fighting to ensure taxpayers won't be the ones left holding the bag should these risky loans go bad. So right now, Congress is actually fighting SBA on these changes with major concerns. I don't know how that's going to play out. So that's why, we're, you know, th- these go into effect August 1 if there's no updated memos, which we do expect there'll be some level of changes. Uh, so I do want to bring that to everyone's attention. Like I said, the majority of the lenders that I'm talking to are saying they're not going to do zero down loans. You know, they will default to the 5%. When we used to, the previous rule was they had to be 10% down, okay? And 5% could come from the seller. 5% could come from the borrower. We only did those in specific transactions. That had to be a really strong deal, meaning resume-wise. That's for the manager buying out the business. It had to be a very strong deal on every other level to allow lenders to do that, or lenders, actually, internal policies to allow them to do that. Uh, so that's what what I'm hearing is going to be the default with the majority of our lenders anyway. Now, will there be a lender out there doing 0% down? I'm sure they will. Um, yes. but, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, that's the bottom line. Uh, the majority of my lenders and they're not conservative lenders by any means are saying, you know, we don't want to live with that default. And uh, there again, there's so much gray area here. They don't want to risk their guarantees also. Well, but, uh, it, it makes sense. Look, as, as much as we'd love to say every deal is going to be done with no money down that that's not, right. that's not going right. to happen. And right. as much as we, you know, I think a lot more, how much more of the burden then is going to come down now to um, the buyer's experience level when it comes to a business for to for a bank to say, okay, yeah, we could see this person getting in with no money down or how much more now is going to be on the, uh, on the, on the buyer? I have always claimed that's the resume that drives the amount of down payment. The closer that fits, you know, if they're internal, uh, we did a transaction where, where the woman had been running the company for 12 years. No one even knew the seller. Okay. She could answer every question. You know, when I brought that to the lender and I said, here is your picture of an SBA applicant, you know, uh, all the employees, they had 31 employees. They all thought she was the owner. No one had any clue there was another owner. So I said, you know, that's a perfect scenario for a five, five percent deal, you know, but if you're trying to take somebody from the computer industry and, you know, put them in a feed and grain store, that's going to be a difficult sell at five percent down, to be honest with you. You know, so I've always claimed this resume. Yeah. But let's talk about that scenario. You have, because there are a lot of businesses in place where the owner says, and I'd love to sell it to my employee, but they can, they can't afford it. Now with this potential of zero money down and the standby 
for you know for 24 months it does this open the door for that key employee who is in, in essence running the business or the perfect person to buy it one i would imagine the bank looks at that as a less less risky of a loan all right more of a short thing because the the continuity but does that open the door now for for this the potential of that employee more often now being able to take over a business I think that's the closest door to this rule. That's where I would fight. Uh, like I said, when I brought them, that 5% in that woman transaction I just described, she didn't even have the 5%. We let her empty her house and get it from wherever she could because she was such a great fit. Would I have done that or at least approached it with a 0% down? Probably would have. This seller backed her 100%. It was Everyone was in the transaction saying, whatever we need to do to make her the actual owner, we could do. I would look at that at a 0% down because of her experience. Lenders love internal buyers. I mean, if, sure. if you weren't aware of that all day long, because what they think in their mind is there's going to be no surprises. This guy's internal. No, no skeletons in the closet are going to pop out two weeks after closing, which we've all seen. Uh, so when it comes to the internal managers, long as they're not, financial train wrecks. And what I say by that is, you know, they don't have $60,000, $80,000 of credit card debt and things like that. But if they're any kind of responsible uh, financial person, I'm going to fight for them because it's the right thing to do. And the seller typically wants to help them when you get into that scenario. That's a great thing. So well, I'm all about providing opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, think about it. The business is worth a million and a half dollars. The And, and the perfect person is the the... the 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 manager of that of the company or the and, but they don't have a hundred and fifty they didn't have a hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars to put down or they didn't have you know but they were they were the right person and right. credit wise they were strong financially and they had very little debt but they just didn't have the money that scenario where they could not buy the business which was sad oh no they can that's open up they can now buy a buy the business and and the bank should be thrilled because to them, it's the loan is safer than with someone coming in that knows nothing about the business. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. That's where I see opportunity. And those are the transactions, like I said, I get the per most personal satisfaction out of is helping those people that wouldn't normally have an opportunity at something like that. Yeah. And as far as the, 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 the Congress, I understand where they're coming from. Look, they're going back to the the housing crisis, right? And then they, when they were, when the banks were lending right. 105% right. of the value of the house right. and, and all of a sudden all the right. loans started going bad, that was a nightmare. I don't think that's ever going to happen again, but I think that was still fresh enough in their memory to say, well, you know, wait, wait a second, let's look at this. But these are all, all exciting things. And we touched on uh, probably six or seven different things, Steve, in, in, in the closing of this show, one, I was going to ask you if we, get any significant change in the upcoming months, would you Would you be kind enough? I'm putting you on the spot. Would you be kind enough to come back on the show and talk to us about it? Absolutely. Like I said, all, all my opinions are seven days old, so understand all of this can change. <laughs> a lot of lenders have related this to the PPP where things change on an every other week basis, uh, but this is what we know as of today, and, and as we continue to explore, I am happy to put out the information. I want to share every everything that we uh, know to date. So, Steve, I'll, I'll do this disclaimer for you since podcasts can – someone might listen to this a year from now. The disclaimer is if you're listening to this podcast and any of these rules uh, are not in effect today, well, that's because they've gone away. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. Changed. So is there anything yeah. else you would like to leave as final thoughts to uh, 
the business owner or the business broker or, or the or the business buyer um, about these uh, the SOP um, changes that were just recently released. Any any additional tidbits or words of wisdom that you might have for us, Steve? It's actually get in touch with the lenders that you typically use and understand what their interpretation is as these interpretations come out. But there are going to be advantages you need to take advantage of. Uh, like I said, the, that 0% down, maybe look at partial buyouts, uh, sellers staying on, licenses. So there are – this is going to open doors for you no matter what. We don't know exactly which doors or, or what they're going to look like. But this is opportunity for any new business broker or any existing business broker that, uh, you know, they've all seen great businesses that required licenses that they tried to sell for months. It was a horrible nightmare. Uh, so that's one avenue. But there's a lot of other avenues that this is going to open up. So my final thoughts are keep in touch with your lender. Understand which rules they're going to implement right away, which ones they're looking at implementing down the road. And, you know, basically understand what their lending guidelines are going to be moving forward. That, that's the best criteria I can tell you. Well, Steve, you were kind enough to share all this information with all of us today. But I'm sure there are people out there that said, I have questions. I really need to know more. Steve, how can they contact you and Diamond Financial Services if they have any, if they want more information? Can I tell them to attend the IBBA conference? <laughs> you, you can, but also you also give your because by the time this airs, the conference may have we may have come and gone. Gotcha, so, gotcha, um, gotcha, gotcha. Give them the regular contact information because that hope we can always look, we'll always plug the IBBA conferences. <laughs> I, I know. Uh, I will be expanding a little bit more on this next week, but uh, to, you can reach out to us at any time. We're at easysba.com. Uh, all of our direct information is on there. Uh, we have an Ask Diamond at EasySBA dot com email address any questions any concerns any is this a lender policy we answer questions for brokers all over the country on an everyday basis here whether it's our transaction or not is irrelevant what we want to know is or what we want you to know is what is an actual sba rule what is a lender policy where is there wiggle room where is there not wiggle room so again the email address to send any of those concerns or questions is askdiamond at easysba.com uh, and we're happy to help you close your transaction and help however we possibly can, wherever it is in this world. So uh, what matters to us is that you close transactions. So if there's anything we can do to help make that happen, know that we're here. Well, Steve, I know this is a very busy time of year for you. You're gearing up for the conference. There's a lot of changes going on in the SBA world, but you still found uh, in your schedule to take time to come talk with us today, my friend. And I want to thank you so much for coming on IBBA Insights today. Thank you, Chris, for all you do, all you give back to the community, all you do for the board and uh, the entire the entire uh, broker world. I mean, you're just everywhere providing great information. So without you, none of this would be possible. So, so thank you. And um, enjoy the rest of your day, I think. Well, Steve, I'd rather give the compliments than receive them. I'm not, but thank you so much for that. Um, um, you know, it's my pleasure to do this show. It's a, it's a labor of love. I enjoy it. And look, when we get to come on, if you're out there listening, and we get to come on today with someone of, uh, of Steve Mariani's, uh, background and, and his expertise and all that he has and, and does in the, in the world of lending. And he shares with us all the changes um, that were just recent released and, and, and what that means. That's what this show is all about. It's invaluable information. 
whether you're a business owner, a buyer, a seller, a broker, you know, whatever you are, business professional, it's good to understand what's going on and what options you have out there. So as always, we're happy to bring you great topics like this, great guests like Steve Mariani from Diamond Financial. And we're going to continue to do that in future episodes of IBBA Insights. If you want to listen to other episodes or you missed some of the past episodes or want to re-listen, all you have to do is go to ibba.org slash insights. And once you're there, you can subscribe by clicking the Apple, Android, or email icons. And as we like to say, then you'll never have to miss another episode again. Until next time, when we bring you another great topic, another great guest, uh, it's been my pleasure to bring to you today um, the information on the, uh, the SBA SOPs. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got a lot of information out of that that's going to help you uh, close more deals, sell your business, or buy a business, because that's what this is all about. Until next time, I'm Chris Diglio, your host of IBBA Insights, and I hope you all have a great day.